Welcome to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers. And a very good Saturday afternoon to you, Harry Alexander and Bunker de France, here on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West for Saturday, the 14th of uh, March. It's pie day. Did you know that, Bunker? It's what day? Pie pa- day. Pie day. Well, I'm going to have to stop and get me some pie. There you go. Pie day. I, pie day. The only reason I know it's pie day is my son what got kind married. Of, what kind of pie do you like the best? Oh, well, any pie. Any pie? Any pie. I love uh, mincemeat, man. Moon pie? Well, moon pies are fine. I love mincemeat. Yeah. Well, I've got favorite. All right. Sweet potato pie. Now, that's a I'll very bet good you, I'll bet you Ken could probably whip up a yeah, good sweet I, potato pie. I reckon he can. And, you know, we're talking food today because we like food. And uh, I, I discovered this gentleman, our guest, Kent Rollins. I discovered him uh, on his YouTube channel. I, I love to cook, and I was rummaging through recipes and stuff. Raisins. And I, I came across his YouTube channel. And just the way that he presents everything, it's like, this is a good old boy, and we got to have him on the show. <laughs> well, I, wa- I watched a couple of his little videos on yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, I agree 100%. I love the one with the, I think it was the Ghost Riders. Yeah. yeah that was funny. Kent Rollins is our guest. He's uh, from out of Oklahoma, uh, the official chuck wagon of Oklahoma, as I understand. And uh, you and your wife, Shannon, do uh, uh, tons of uh, uh, of goodies. Uh, you, you, you do uh, chuck wagon meats and, and oh, and I... I you, Rather than me explain it, you explain it. Welcome to the microphones, Ken. Oh, thank you, Harry and Barker. Thank you all so much for having us on. And uh, we have a holiday every day. My <laughs> daddy always told me many years ago, find something you like to do, do it well, and you'll never have a job. And so I've really been employed and unemployed most of my life. So, uh, But now nah, that old chuck wagon, we have an 1876 Studebaker chuck wagon. And nice. Studebaker, you know, people think, well, they made cars and pickup trucks yep but long before that they made uh probably the cadillac of wagons uh, oh, they yeah. were so popular back then and abraham lincoln when he took office he insisted that there be a studebaker coach there because they had the smoothest ride and mm-hmm. i found this one in an old barn in spur texas and uh we've done a lot of work to it before we ever got it sort of like we want it but it's followed me up and down the road now for about 26 or 7 years nice. um, been to a lot of places with it been from the west coast to the east coast and from the south border to the north border so wow. it's uh, it is truly the first meals on wheels ever invented <laughs> and you know when the cattle drives come along uh, you know after the civil war there was a great expansion of people that wanted to move uh, north and west and they needed something to eat and there was also a lot of longhorns in Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, Oklahoma mm-hmm. Louisiana and so they gather them up and they send them down a trail. Well, they got 12 to 15 cowboys that's uh, tending to them, and they needed somebody to feed them, and that was the old cook, who they call the cookie or the cusinero. And things have really not changed all that much in the way the methods and preparation go. Sure, I've got a whole lot more to cook with than old cookie did, but it's still an honor to me to be able to go and cook on working ranches and keep that heritage alive. That is just so cool. Back in the days of sale, golden age of uh, days of sale, uh, the the person who usually was in the galley doing the cooking was uh, the poor sailor who had lost a leg or lost an arm and uh, wasn't able to do battle any longer, and so they stuffed him down into the galley. Not not the same as uh, as with the, uh, the, the 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 cowboy cooks. Uh, no, you know, a lot, a lot of them were, you know, cowboys that got older, cowboys that got stove up, but uh, they had to be able to drive a wagon, but also cook too, you know, and that's that's something that we run into on some ranches. Uh, they'll say, hey, you know, we hadn't took a wagon out since 1957 because we couldn't even find anybody that could actually cook real good and drive a wagon. And, uh, <laughs> To me, it's a very relaxing thing to yeah. sit up there in a wagon seat and drive a good team. Uh, sure, I've been with some of them knotheads that run off with you every day, but uh, it's a great way to travel. How, how big is your team? 
Well, most of the time, we're on a ranch. We'd be using theirs. I've, okay. I've, uh, I've used a four up. Most of the time, it's either two two mules or two Belgians or uh, okay. something like that. Well, tell me about those two white horses I see in the, pulling your uh, pulling your wagon in that picture there. They look, they look kind of interesting. The two whites. That is. That is making many probably the best team I ever drove in my life. They belong to the Silver Spur Ranch industry, which was running the Bale Ranch, and it's about 292,000 acres. And when they called and wanted me to come cook, uh, they said, we need five weeks, and they gave me the dates, and I said, no, I'm already booked part of that. Well, we'll move it around to fit your schedule because every cowboy out here said, if we're going to hire a cook, <laughs> we want to hire you. There you go. And... Uh, so we uh, we went, and a lot of things have changed since the old days. At one time, women weren't welcome in camp. Uh, you just didn't see them in a cow camp like that. And that was the first question I asked them after I got the day straightened out, would my wife be welcome? Because I wasn't going to go, go without her. Yeah. And uh, they said, yeah, you know, it's a family operation now. And we got out there, and they told me, they said, well, you know, we'll, we'll be in some camps two to three days. And some days we'll move the next day. You know, it just depends. It's we put 141 miles on that wagon in five and a half weeks wow, with that's, that team. That's wow. great. And uh, there'd be a lot of days. You know, we'd we'd cook breakfast at four, break camp at five fifteen, harness up a team, and we'd go anywhere from 14 to 17 miles in a day and set up camp and cook supper again. You know, and that's. That's the way old Cookie did it most of the time. Uh, they just had two meals a day back when he was going. But even when we was moving camp, we'd fix something early that morning. You know, them mornings might start at one thirty, two o'clock in the morning for me and Shan so we could yeah. cook breakfast and then yeah. fix something that we could pass out to them cowboys as they rode up to the wagon. I told Shan it's sort of like a drive-up window. Kind of like a nooner. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, the the, the as Hollywood has portrayed the cookie, uh, you know, I'm I'm thinking, like, probably wagon train is my uh, Charlie Wooster, Charlie Rooster, or old in, Charlie, uh, old Charlie, or in uh, uh, Rawhide. Yeah, uh, you well, got you got you your know, cookies the, like that, but Walter Brennan on Red River. And, you yeah, know. exactly. But uh, I mean, these these guys, they they weren't as they weren't. I don't think like what Hollywood portrays them. Of course, Hollywood has this. Problem. They don't do anything right. I know, I know. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're, we're kind of we're, we're, we like to think of ourselves as purists, but uh, we're not. Um, I'm not purist. I just don't like what's wrong. Well, okay, that, that sounds. Well, good. you know, Ken, there you I, go. I, Ken, I've, I've got yeah. kind of a little tradition I started here on the show, and you'll be you'll be the fourth victim. Uh, what it basically and it has to do with you know you were talking about the legacy and the heritage and the history, and so what I've done is I've started a little tally book uh, called Voices of the West, outstanding in our Western heritage, and I ask each guest to just pick one thing, or one person, or one event, something in our heritage and our legacy that is really outstanding to them that I can ret- uh, record for our posterity. So it's your turn. All right. Well, this was on the Bell Ranch the first year we ever out there, and they hadn't took a, a working team and a cookout since 1957. And we had moved camp one evening to work because that ranch changes in elevation from about, oh, say, 1,700-foot elevation to about close to 6,300-foot in elevation. That's a quiet. And we were at the... At the top of the camp, the very last end, starting back down, and I remember the the assistant foreman, old Rem Moseman, come over to me, and he said, Ken, he said, when you drive that wagon in the morning, he said, you're going to go off a hill that is pretty bad. There had nobody been down that hill since 1957 in a wagon. I said, well, I sure as hell hope they've worked on the road since then. And he said... Me and you both. He said, you're going to have to ride that break. And I said, I've been down a lot of hills in my life, and it's just one long hill after a switchback after another. And I remember one of them old cowboys, a good friend of mine, Gary Morton, come riding up there beside the wagon, and he said, uh, Kenny said, I just want to tell you something. He said, when you get time, look behind you. And uh, we come to a little flat there, and I turned leaned out there and looked. He said, see them wagon tracks in the road? I said, yes, sir. He said, they ain't never been here before since 1957. And he said, that remuda there is behind us? 
He said, there's 57 horses in that Ramuda. Wow. He said, just make a man feel good, don't it? I said, I am very honored <laughs> yeah. to be on. the man that come off the top of that hill. It took us probably 45 minutes to go a mile and a quarter just because you had to ride the brakes so much and it was uphill, downhill. But when you're driving a team like that and you're going downhill, the biggest thing you got to remember is you got to ride that brake enough to keep that double tree from hitting them in the hop yeah. and not let it run away with you and let that neck yoke come off. Yeah. But uh, Nick and Minnie, was a, they was as good a team as I ever drove in my life. But it was one of the deals that I'll never forget because I got to go back into history and do something that hadn't been done in 50-something years. Wow. So that was the Bell Ranch, you said? Yes, sir. Oh, great. Yeah. That, I, really, love I guess it. it was longer than that because 57 to... 2007 that's 65 years probably close yeah that's that's, that's too, a, many, too many years that's a deed indeed it <laughs> that, is yeah that is just way 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 cool way cool well, thank and, you and, and to be able to participate in history like that and oh i mean i used to do civil war reenacting and living history and uh just the opportunity to do those kinds of things you know, when you study up on your particular topic and then uh, you present your program to people who are willing and wanting to learn, it's just, it's a great feeling. It just is. Oh, it, it is. It was, uh, you know, we, we were carrying on a heritage that had started way back in the 1870s out there on the Bell Ranch. And we were camping in the exact same places that them old cooks had stopped wagging out mm. back in the 1870s, you know, so... Every, every place to me out there that we had camp uh, was a very special place. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this, because, you know, that sounds like a special place. And I know, I guess you kind of started over there in the uh, Gila Wilderness. I'm over from New Mexico way, and I, that's yeah. one of the f- most fantastic parts of the state, I think. But uh, how would you compare the Gila to some of the other places that you've worked? Well, when I was working in the Gila, I was... Uh, helping my uncle guide and cook for, for elk hunters back in I guess 80 about 81 to 88 and uh, it's really very beautiful country and we would come out from the trailhead there at Campbell Creek and go all the way to Lily Mountain which is about 21 or 2 miles and the reason we went so far is you didn't see no more people yeah. Nobody would go hardly that far. It was sort of the center of the wilderness there, and it was about 20 miles in from anywhere you came. And uh, we camped right there below Lily Mountain. And it is a uh, very breathtaking country to get to see. And it was sure it was the same as cooking for cowboys. I just packed it in on a mule instead of packing it in a wagon. But it's uh, it's country that can change just like any other place that I ever worked in. You know, Mother Nature's truly in control of what happens. And I'd cook up there some days, and it'd be 45 degrees and really nice, and I've cooked there when it's been below zero. So, mm-hmm. But I enjoyed every minute of it, you know, and uh, it's something that I, I want to go back someday and see that country because it is truly a great place. Right. And you've also cooked in, in Oklahoma there with, uh, I, I suspect you're, you're close by or, or near uh, um, Tornado Alley, and so you've got to be on the constant watch for those things. Uh, because they'll whip up on you right fast. Uh, <laughs> it rains sideways out there. Yeah. And, and oh, so, it does that. Yeah. You know, I tell people I've cooked in about every condition that Mother Nature can throw on in. We were on a ranch in North Texas down close to Seymour all oh, four or five years ago. Me and Shan, we cooked for the Cal Fan Cattle Company down there. and We'd set up the night before we were supposed to start, and all the cowboys are staying at a bunkhouse, and so we're really the only ones out there in camp, and the foreman man that owns it, old Rob, called me, and he said, uh, there's a tornado warning for this county, and he said, look like it's going to come over about where you're at. He said, y'all might have come to house. And I said, nah, I said, I think I'll be all right. I said, I got a lot of money invested in it. If it's going to blow away, I won't see it. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sham said, you, you think we ought to go? And I said, I know you, you think some of what I tell you is BS, but I said, ain't nary a bird left this camp. And I said, if the birds leave, we'll leave. But yeah, I said, yeah. right now, it's going to be just fine. Uh, you know, well, I, that thing, it went about four miles to the west of us. Yeah. Wow. And I mean, it did tear up a lot of country. And uh, 
it did blow the fly down that night. I mean, we got a second storm, but uh, you know, Mother Nature always takes care of you if you watch and listen and see That's what's right. going on. But That's right. people say, hey, you know, we got a plan A, B, and C. Well, when you're a wagon cook, you have a plan from A to Z, and then you better try to go past that. Because uh, yeah. you anything get, can happen. Yeah. You get through the alphabet, and then you start on your numbers. We are talking with uh, right. we're talking with Kent Rollins, author and cook. His uh, latest book with uh, his wife Shannon is Faith, Family, and the Feast: Recipes to Feed Your Crew from the Grill, the Garden, and the Iron Skillet. And we're talking about chuck wagons, and uh, we're going to continue our our discussion here about food because we love food. Uh, but we're going to do that right after this. Uh, we're going to do our first commercial break here. Hey, popular history tells us that women gained the right to vote in 1920 with the 19th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. But if you pick up a copy of Chris Enns' latest book, No Place for a Woman, you'll learn women were voting as early as 1870 in the Wyoming Territory. Enns tells the story of three women whose work and lobbying helped usher in a new era for expanding women's rights. This is a must-have book for your Western collection. Get your copy of No Place for a Woman at Amazon.com, at BarnesandNoble.com, or at ChrisEnds.com. And listen for Chris on Voices of the West. She'll be with us April 18th at 4 p.m. to hear more of the story of No Place for a Woman. We're also going to be talking with her about the the Pinkerton Agency. So we'll be right back with much more of Emil Franzi's Voices of the West right after these important messages. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were filled. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallion.com or call 520-297-0252. The Tucson Trap and Ski Club is one of the best-kept economic secrets in town. This 900-member group maintains one of the finest shotgun shooting ranges in the country, featuring trap, skeet, five-stand, and sporting clays fields, and hosts national and international events that bring thousands of people and millions of dollars into our community. The Spring Satellite Grand American Tournament alone involves 1,200 participants for 10 days. Learn more about this and their other contributions to our community at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com. As we recognize the service of America's men and women in uniform, let's also honor the families who sacrifice so much every day. Military families endure frequent deployments and separations. They carry on while their loved ones are sent into harm's way and wait patiently for their safe return. If you really want to honor a veteran, look for ways to support their families and thank them for their sacrifices. Go to legion.org slash honor veterans to find out how you can help. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond checking stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911 Read classic western comics anytime at voicesofthewest.net Come and get it or I'll throw it all out Come and get it all Come and get it before we move 
Yes, indeed. We are back on Amo Franzi's Voices of the West. A little bit of Roy Rogers there, the Chuck Wagon song. And why we're doing that? Well, our guest is uh, the Chuck Wagon Master of Oklahoma. Kent Rollins and uh, he and his wife Shannon have written this uh, their latest book, Faith, Family, and the Feast. And uh, I love food. Bunker loves food, and so I'm fond of it. We that's why we we've got Kent on because we want to learn more about uh, about food and cowboy cooking. Hey, Ken, Kent. Uh, yes, sir, my friend. Well, uh, tell me now, what is it? What is the magic about an open fire and an iron skillet? Well, you know, cast iron been around forever and ever, and it'll outlive us all. I remember Bunker, an old man on the ranch I was cooking on one time, uh, probably 30 years ago, told me, he said, uh, young feller, he said, if there was a nuclear bomb today, he said, there'd be three things survived, and all of them would start with C. And I said, what's that? He said, cows, cockroaches, and cast iron. They'll outlive us all. And, uh, and he's pretty well right, you know. Cast iron, when it's seasoned well and you cook with it, it brings out the most flavor in food. But uh, it also is the healthiest thing you can eat out of. Uh, you know, you're going to absorb some iron from some of them things you eat out of there. And it just brings out a great flavor. And you get that atmosphere when you can sit around a fire and you can cook something and fellowship and share it with friends and loved ones. Well, it's a happy meal that don't come in a sack. And a lot of people don't uh, quite understand that you can cook damn near anything in a in, a, in cast iron. You don't need a special uh, uh, cooking vessel. Uh, if you want to make a, a cake, you can do that in your skillet or in your Dutch oven. If you want to make a casserole, you can do that in your Dutch oven or skillet as well. You don't need no stinking wok. Yeah, you don't need no wok or any of that no, other happy stuff. No. You know, I, I always people used to ask me a lot on the Food Network, so... What can you cook in cast iron? I said, you can cook anything, but I don't cook stuff I can't spell. Yeah. And, uh, so, I was going to ask you, you know, what it, some of that stuff it was. Is a, it is a very versatile tool. And uh, yeah. probably one one of the things that I guess has lasted over the period of time from so many years ago, when it's handed down from generation to generation. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when people have a piece of cast iron like that, they need to realize not only is it a treasure, but it's an investment. Yeah, because every time you cook out of it, it is giving you something in return, and it'll outlast every one of us. My collection of cast iron, I, I have uh, gotten most of it from Texas, and my sister-in-law and brother-in-law live in El Paso, and they always take me to this um, thrift store kind of thing, and they almost always have a good piece of cast iron uh, ready for me to purchase. And um, I was lucky enough when I bought my. Uh, Dutch oven. I, I I bought the kind that has the 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 nubs on the lid. So yeah, the grippers. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that that was a big plus. And then I found me a, a, a ten inch skillet uh, that I've got. But the the thing is, everybody talks about treating and caring for your cast iron. This is not your standard uh, uh, walk, if you will. Um, you wash it up and then you leave it. You let's start it. Let's let's go through that process of how to make that cast iron do how, what it's supposed to do. How Kevin. to start your skillet? There you go. All uh, right. You know, there's there's a lot of good cast iron out there, but there's also a lot of bad cast yeah. iron that's being sold. The first thing people need to know is you need to turn that thing over and look at the bottom because it's all got to be branded and marked now. It needs to say made in the USA. Yep. That is the best cast iron you're going to get. Now, the old stuff, the Wagners, the Griswolds, the Birmingham Stove companies, they're all out of business. Now, sure, you can still find some of them pieces at thrift stores, junk stores, estate sales, something like that. But every once in a while, they get to thinking they're lined with gold because they want more for them than they're actually worth. Yep. But say you buy a new skillet today and uh, you want to you cook in it. Well, that's possible. I mean, they make some stuff that's pre-seasoned. It's sort of rough, but uh, you can smooth that out with a little sandpaper. Give it a good rinsing. I usually set it over some kind of heat source, whether it be that old wood stove or rider in here in the house on a gas burner, and let it dry completely. Yeah, let it open uh, the pores. Yeah, and when you know that it's dry, go ahead and add you some oil. And, and I've really come to like two kinds of oil anymore to start iron with, and that is... Grapeseed oil and avocado oil both have a really high smoke uh, temp. 
and just leave that oil in there. It don't take near as much as people think. Uh, you know, for a brand new skillet, maybe a spot big around is a 50 cent piece. Mm-hmm. And when that oil, right as it begins to smoke, turn that burner out. Yep. Get you a lint-free rag and wipe that oil all around. Don't leave any excess in there. And uh, you have preheated your oven before that to 350, 375. And then just stick it in there and let it cook for about an hour. And uh, turn it off, let it come to room temperature right there in that oven. Do the same thing the next day, the day after that. And uh, when you pull it out of there, it's not going to be solid black at that time. Not going to have that glossy finish that you see on some of that old stuff. It takes takes a little while. But the best thing you can do to new cast iron after you've got it seasoned about three times that way is to deep fry something in it. I love to deep fry potatoes in a new piece of iron because it really helps build up that seasoning and that starch mm-hmm. helps too. Mm-hmm. Now, when you cook up them potatoes, do you fry a little bacon first to get some grease going, or do you just plop them all in there? No, I usually, uh, you know, bacon grease is something that uh, is a staple anywhere I've ever been in my life, whether it was on a ranch or in the house. We keep uh, one of the last remaining old tin folders yes. uh, full of bacon grease all the time, you know. So when you can start with that bacon grease, you're just adding more flavor, but it's going to help season that skillet as well as your frying. Well, let me ask you this, because when you you mentioned you like that can of bacon grease, that made me think of my mom. She always had two cans. One can was full of bacon grease and cracklings, and the other can was full of flour, but it wasn't just your plain old flour, it was that seasoned flour. She'd make uh, chicken fried steak, she'd pop it in that can and, you know, salt and pepper with the flour and pop it around, do fried chicken, she'd do the same thing. And so that that flour always had a little flavor of its own besides the, besides the flour taste, you know. So that was so, just one of the yeah. things that our family did. Yeah, we all, Mama was the same way. And even when we, we cook today, I mean, we... We use our our seasoning mix, our original, and I mix with the flour. But uh, there's always a little bacon grease somewhere to come along. Right. <laughs> We're talking with Kent Rollins and about his book, Faith, Family, and the Feast. It's a cookbook, uh, and uh, it's about cowboy cooking, actually. And uh, you can do this cooking uh, uh, in your skillet, your iron skillet, on the fire. Uh, in the stove, wherever it is that you may want to be cooking. And we're talking about this because, doggone it, we love food. And we love to, Bunker and I do love to cook. I got to tell you, Kent, when I got this book, got the, uh, the book in the mail, uh, I was fixing to take it. And, uh, Bunker and I always share up the books and, and such. And, uh, unfortunately, I had, I went into the hospital, so he wasn't able to get a hold of it. Um, and Actually, I went down to Barnes & Noble, had got a, a big cup of coffee. And you found and, one. And sat down there with the book for about a, two hours. Yeah, so uh, th- this, was, this was one book I was not really inclined to give to him because I knew I'd never see it again. <laughs> well, Eric, if, if you give me visitor's rights, I'll let you keep it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and I, I do. I we went on before, uh, before air uh, talking about uh, some of the recipes in there. Um, the the goodies that are in there, I have not made them all yet, but I fully intend to. Uh, it, it's just it is just so doggone appetizing. It looks appetizing, and I, I, I don't give a rat's ass if it's healthy or not. We're all going to die of something someday, <laughs> you know? If, if you quit eating meat, you get run over by a meat yeah, truck. Yeah, thank you. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. let's enjoy life. Eat yeah. out more often. <laughs> I've got a qu- another question well, for you. Yes, sir. If, now, on your caveman steak, now, is that a special yes, cut, sir. or is that any old porterhouse will do? No, I've used a you know a bone-in ribeye. I've used a porterhouse. I've used a New York strip. I've used a chuck roast. Uh, depends on the thickness of how long you're going to have to cook it. But uh, <laughs> uh, I broke that out one time on a ranch because uh, everything had got pretty wet around town. And I'm thinking, you know, this would be a good day to dig a hole and cook some caveman steak. And uh, so I dug me a hole and and put a bunch of coals in there to dry the ground out first, and then went back through there and. and Heated everything back up and had 16 ribeyes in there. There's about an inch and a half thick at one time. Mm. And them cowboys would gather around there. And it's, he, a cowboy will never, if he's the right kind and he's polite and he knows camp etiquette, he ain't about to ask a cook 
what are you doing? No. <laughs> and they just stood there and watched and watched. And finally, this old fella come up there. Old Mac was probably close to 87 or 8 years old. He came up there and he said, Cookie, what the hell have you done to them steaks? <laughs> I said, I'm cooking them. He said, well, hell, you got a skillet over there, don't you? And I said, yeah, but this is this is a new method, Mac. I said, you're going to like it. He said, well, it's going to be covered with ash. And I said, no. Before you lay them on there, you take your hat off. You fan them coals. There's no ash left on them. You lay the meat directly on there. It can get no oxygen right there where it's at, so it's not going to flame up under it. And it makes a great caramelization. And then you finish that back off with some of that green chili wine and some horseradish and some cream. And old Mike eat one and stood in line for another, and he thought they was the good. Now, I've got I'm, another I'm get, question I'm for you. hungry. Yeah. Let's just I listen to this. i got another question for you then. Because I, I, when I read that green chili wine, I was going, because I never heard of it, so I'm going now, is that drinking wine or cooking wine? That is some of both. Oh. You know, it's a white wine. Hatch, you know hatch green chilies, right? Oh, oh yes, yeah. we do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I grew, when I was in New Mexico guiding hunters, I fell in love with hatch green chilies. And uh, as we speak right now, there's 40 pounds of them roasted chilies mm. in my freezer out there. I never <laughs> love But uh, a man on a, on a ranch gave me some of that green chili wine from Hatch, and he said, I, I figured you might like that since you like them hatch green chilies. And, and I poured me a glass that night over in the TV before me and Shannon went to bed, and I said, my gosh, this stuff's good. It'd be good to cook with, good to drink. I said, you can just lay, lay it by the bed and feel better the next morning. <laughs> and, uh, but it is, uh, they make a, a hatch green chili wine and a red chili wine. The green is really, really good to cook with like that, but the red chili wine sure goes good in enchilada sauce, too. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh, Harry, that sounds like a challenge to me. It certainly does. Yeah. Uh, I've got another question for you. You, you, you figure that, you, know, you hold on to that question because okay. we got to do our next, do our, break, do our commercial don't. break here. We're talking with Kent Rollins and, uh, about his book that he wrote with uh, wife Shannon. It's called Faith, Family, and the Feast. It's cowboy cooking at its best. And uh, we're going to do much more talking with Kent right after these important messages. Do stay tuned. When looking for a property management company, here are some things you should consider. How long has the company been in business? What types of properties can they manage for you? And does the company give back to the community? Well, your search is over. The Polash Management Company meets and exceeds those considerations. They've been in business in Tucson, Arizona since the 1960s. They manage all types of properties throughout Arizona and elsewhere, from residential to commercial to public sector properties. The Polash Management Company also dedicates its time and resources to numerous community projects, including help funding the drive for the USS Arizona Memorial at the University of Arizona. You also want a property management company that puts you, the customer, first. First, contact the Paul Ash Management Company today at paulashmanagement.com and ask about the complete package or call 520-795-2100. That's 520-795-2100. The Paul Ash Management Company, property managers you can trust. Man, this is frustrating. It's taken me like five minutes just to load my homepage. Did you try Control-Alt-Delete? Uh-huh. Did you jiggle the cord? Uh-huh. Did you turn it on and off again? Uh-huh. Call Arizona Computer Guru. Don't let viruses get you down. With our Guru Protection Service, we'll keep you virus-free. In fact, if you were to get a virus, we would fix it for free. Speak to a technician right now at 304-8300 or at azcomputerguru.com. Hello? I'm Mr. Red. No doubt you've heard about rescue groups for dogs and cats. But did you know there's a rescue group for horses? That's right. It's called Horses Around Rescue. Founders Steve Boyce and Teresa Worrell are helping out all those equine victims of neglect and cruelty by giving them a place to restore their health and wellness. And Horses Around provides a nurturing and natural environment where horses can be horses so they can be adopted out into forever homes. More than 120 horses, mules, and donkeys have been adopted out, but like everything else, it costs money to run the project. Horse It Around is a 501c3 nonprofit located in Southeast Arizona. 
your tax-deductible donations to Horse It Around will go a long way so those horses can be horses. Check out the website, horseitaroundrescue.org. Make a difference in a horse's life. That's horseitaroundrescue.org. Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Tom, the host of the Movie Zealots podcast, and I'm inviting you to give the Movie Zealots podcast a listen. Every episode, my co-hosts and I review the latest box office releases, but there's more than simply just that. We also play games like the Alexa quote of the show. And may the odds be ever in your favor. And have a From the Cutting Room Floor segment that is an open forum to discuss anything from our thoughts of a Netflix TV series to our experiences with movie subscriptions such as the AMC Stubs or MoviePass. So, after finishing this podcast, please give the Movie Zealots podcast a listen. We can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. Simply search Movie Zealots. Until then, that's a wrap. You're not going to use this story, Mr. Scott? No, sir. This is the West, sir. When the legend becomes fact, print the legend. This is the Voices of the West. are back on Animal Frenzy's Voices of the West. It's a Saturday. Harry Alexander and Bunker de France. Our guest is Kent Rollins. He's a master cowboy cook. Master Chuck Wagon Man. And uh, I got to tell you, Kent, I have to play the, uh, I don't know if you recognize that uh, little piece of music there. Coming back, that's the theme from the High Chaparral. And uh, yes. my, my co-host here, Mr. DeFrance, appeared in 52 of those uh, episodes. And uh, so... I have to play it or he walks. You know, that's true. But, you know, <laughs> listen, listening to that got me to thinking. You know, at the ranch house, Victoria cooked for the family. Yeah. But us bunkhouse guys, nobody cooked for us. We must have starved to death because I never, there was never, well, we had one episode, I think, Dick Farnsworth came over and cooked. But yeah. That, that was about it. Well, and you guys would cook when you. No, were that on was the drive. a bonanza episode. No. Okay, so, so we never we never got to eat. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been on that set too when we were doing the Food Network Chop Grill Masters. Oh, where cool. it was at, right there at that old set. Yeah, so yeah, let's talk about some of that television stuff. I mean, you went up against Bobby Flay, and uh, I mean he he is like competitive cook number one in the nation, and you, you cleaned his clock. Uh, uh, with one of your your concoctions, right? Yes, sir. You know, we uh, they, the Food Network called and they said they were going to do a special on chuck wagon cooking. And me and Shannon at the time were, were living and working on a ranch uh, down in North Texas. And they came and we filmed a couple of days and I had the wagon set up. We was feeding some crew and uh, that evening I noticed they got to bringing in more people more sound people, more light people, and I'm thinking, I don't know what's going on tomorrow, but it must be going to be a busy day. And got down there the next morning and started cooking, and uh, they told me, they said, we got a man at the gate down there that won't let nobody in because we've got to have everything really quiet today. We was in there cooking, and we was talking uh, about what it takes to make a really good chicken fried steak, and I hear this pickup coming up that pasture road, and I'm thinking, well, that guy down there at the gate must have went to sleep because he ain't doing a real good job. And I can't see the pickup truck, but I hear a door slam and then another door slam and another door slam. So I'm thinking, well, there's at least three of them in there. And uh, here comes this bunch around the corner, and I look, and I'm thinking, I think I know who that little fella is there. That looks like Bobby Flay. And uh, he walked up there, and he said, uh, I hear you cook the best chicken fried steak in the world. And I said, well, I don't know if it's the best in the world, but I bet I've made more than anybody else in conditions that nobody's had to cook them in. He said, well, I'd like to challenge you to a chicken fried steak throwdown. I said, in my kitchen today. And he said, yeah. Uh, Harry and Bunker, it was 97 degrees that day. And I figured out what was what was fixing to take place. I told Shan, I said, I don't know how tough he is. But I said, I'm fitting a load that wood stove with every stick of wood I got, and we're going to see if he can take it. Sweat him out. Well, funny. Yeah, I put him down there on, I remember him dragging out some cast iron skillets that had his initials on them, you know, and they, I could tell they was made in China by looking at them. Yeah, and right, I right. hollered at him. I said, I said, Bobby, 
I said, oh, Bertha, that wood stove, she'll melt them. And I said, you better use one of these 20-inch skillets I got. And I said, I'm going to put you right down there on this end of the stove. I said, that's a cool end. I said, it won't be but about 170 degrees on that end of it. <laughs> well, he stayed down there for a little while, and I could see he was sweating, and his old face was red, and I'm thinking, yeah, now's the time. So I told him, I said, you look pretty hot down there, Bobby. And he said, it's the hottest place I've ever been in my life. I said, well, move up here on this other end. It might be a little cooler. Well, he moved up there where the door end of that old stove is. And you know when you crack a door on a wood stove uh, where the yep. flame goes, it comes right out. Uh, so yep. <laughs> I got him up there and got him all set up, and I just cracked the door just a little. And them flames was licking up there about here. That <laughs> and he looked at me, and he said, why in the hell would anybody do this? And I said, it's job, it's job security, Bobby. I know ain't nobody going to take it away from you. There you go. And, uh, That's awesome. He was a good sport, but... Uh, they were so ready to get out of there and find an air conditioner by the time it was yeah. over. That's oh, I've funny. got a chicken fried steak question for you. That's one of our yes, favorites. That's a I, fave. I, I grew up on chicken fried, you know, Rio Dosa, New Mexico chicken fried steak yes. that my mom many, made. Many and, times. and she, you know, she she was a Lubbock girl, so she made it that Texas style chicken fried. But I have always maintained that if you can cut a chicken fried steak with a fork, it is not chicken fried steak. That's just my. Well, you don't want it. You don't want it so mushy that it uh, falls apart on you like that. But there's so many of them chicken fried steak that you'll see in a grocery store that's got a white line of grill running through them, and that's not what I'm after. We use a bottom round most of the time. Sometimes a uh, top round, but most of the time it's bottom. And uh, they they'll weigh anywhere from five to eight ounces, depending on where we're cooking. I'll have them run them through the tenderizer about three times, uh, cuber, and. Uh, we always use certified Angus beef. They've always been good to us. Mm-hmm. And uh, make a, you know, the steaks are are good and thick to begin with, but time you double baptize them in that batter with our seasoning and some flour, they got a crust on them that, whoo, I mean, it is fine dining. Oh, I'll tell you, I, I can remember just time I'm, I'm after time now. my mama with you know, beating them chicken fried steaks like a bad boy. I'll tell you, it, yeah, and they'd, they'd like you say they'd go from they'd go from about you know close to a half inch thick to under a third inch thick until you put yeah. the bread on them. Your book, Faith, Family, yeah. and the Feast, uh, co-written with your with your wife, the lovely Shannon. Uh, she's a, if I remember right, she's an El- uh, Elkhart, Nevada girl. How'd she come up to meet the, Elko? Uh, yeah, how'd she come she to meet an Elko, Nevada? How'd she come to meet an Elko? Uh, well, we, uh, you know, Elko is, has the largest cowboy portrait gathering in the United States. Yep. And, uh, uh, it was probably 15, 16 years ago. Might have been more than that. Now. I can't even remember. They hired me to come up and entertain and do a cooking workshop. Well, at the time, Shannon was working for the Folklife Center, and she was in charge of the workshop that I was doing. Well, I remember we was doing a sourdough biscuit workshop, and I called up there, and she answered the phone, and she was asking me what I needed. And I said, I need two crop jars. And she said, she just went to laughing. And I, I said, pardon me, ma'am? And she said, say that again? And I said, two crop jars. And she would just laugh again, and I'm thinking, well, this this gal thinks I'm pretty funny. (laughs) Well, I come to find out later in life, after we got together, that she just laughs when she's nervous. She couldn't understand a word I was talking, and she said I had an accent. Uh, I told her, I didn't know about that. But uh, we stayed friends for four or five years after that, and she finally came to cooking school one time. She, She kept asking me, she said, you know, I'd like to help you advertise your business. How do you advertise? I said, word of mouth and a full stomach. There you go. And, uh, she said, do, do you have an email address? And I said, yes, ma'am. I said, Route 1, Box 318. She said, no, no, no. She said, do, do you own a computer? And I said, no, ma'am. She said, well, we're, we're going to make you a website. And I said, we ain't going to because I don't know what you're talking about. And uh, she come to cooking school, and uh, I knew right then she was plenty tough because we had some really bad weather that week. We was here. It snowed the first two days. Then it come a hailstorm right before she left, and we nearly got blown away. So you get anything in this country in yeah, March. Yeah. And she took a lot of pictures, and uh, she did make a website. And I ended up getting a computer, and uh, I'd be calling her on the phone, asking her how to run the thing and everything else. And <laughs> she sort of brought me into the modern age. Yeah. And uh, she'd come back to cooking school the next year, and then she'd come back again that next fall. 
And I tell folks, if I finally had to marry her before I could ever get her to graduate. Uh, <laughs> well, I, what, but she is she is the toughest uh, woman I've ever been with in my life. She, uh, I remember one year at the Bell Ranch, the second year we were there, and it droughted out. It was about 95 degrees, and cowboys had rolled out after lunch. And I mean, no dirt got to blowing so hard you couldn't see 50 foot in front of you. And she was sitting in an old camp chair with her back to the wind like an old old horse would, you know. And I looked over there at her, and I could see that she was crying. I couldn't couldn't hear it, but you could see the tears were washing off the dirt as they fell down her face. And I looked <laughs> at her, and I said, darling, I said, go get in the pickup, turn air conditioner on, or go to headquarters. I said, you don't have to be in this. And she took her shirt and she wiped them tears off a little, left a white spot under both them eyes, and she looked over there at me, and she said, this is what we do, and we do it better than anybody else. Yeah. And uh, I always knew right then, I mean, I, she was the love of my life, uh, the greatest inspiration I've ever had. She's a great photographer. Yes. Uh, there's no spa days in the places that we go. Yeah. And uh, she turned she turned out to be... A great Dutch oven cook. She had never cooked in one. She didn't even really cook. Hmm. But she's the only person in the last 30-something years that I've had at the wagon that I could walk off from it and knew it would be run just like I wanted it to. Wow. Uh, well, she's, she's great with the camera. Yeah. Uh, she is good place. Well, in the in the uh, in the book, uh, Faith, Family, and the Feast, um, there it's loaded with uh, tons of recipes and tons and of stories photos. and some great photos. But one of my faves in there is uh, her explanation on how to translate Oklahoman. <laughs> yeah, you know, she told me she was going to put that in there, and I said, what do you mean about translate Oklahoman? She said, do you know how many people can't understand you? And I said, well, I don't have no accent. And she said, the things y'all say in Oklahoma. And I said, well, put them in there. We'll see what happens. But after she did, I got to look at them, and I said, you know, you're all right. Well, I've got one. I got another one for you here. As I understand, when you proposed to Shannon, you you created a little a poem for. Her. Now, if it's not too personal, do you still remember it? And could you recite it for us? Boy, I don't remember all of it. Uh, it's been. We was on our airplane. I'd, uh, we were going to Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, to cook, and we were using another man's wagon, so we didn't have to drive. And uh, we scrounged around. I'd worked extra places on different ranches, trying to get enough money to buy a ring. And I was thinking, man, I don't know if she'd go for this or not. But I'm thinking, I'm going to do it on the airplane. So we was flying southwest, and I had called them two or three times and told them what I wanted to do. And they such great people. They said, oh, we'll help you out. And uh, so I told the captain when I went by uh, what I was needing to do. And he said, we'll take care of you, son. He said, you want to do this on the first leg from Oklahoma City to Kansas City or from Kansas City to Knoxville? I said, hell, let's do it on the first one. If she says no, we won't let her go on the second one. (laughs) (laughs) But I I just remember that a captain come on there and he said, "Uh, is there a Shannon Keller here? And she looked around and she finally raised her hand. And he said, there's a cowboy sitting beside you that's got something really special. He'd like to ask you. And all the stewardess jumped out at that time. Everybody had their camera ready to go, you know. <laughs> and I just remember the last couple of lines of this, something about, you know, you make me have the perfect wife. Nothing would suit me better than to ride in the wagon with you as my wife. And she just kept looking at me. And I said, so would you be my wife? And I ended up asking her three times. I think she was in shock. And uh, she finally said yes. And I remember them, them flight attendants. They had uh, had her a sash made out of toilet paper uh, that said bride. And uh, they give us a bottle of champagne when we got off there at Kansas City. But one of the special things that they did for us is the captain printed off the log there at 38,000 foot uh at so much longitude, east and west, north yeah. and south, yeah. when you you know you propose to your wife, uh, and we've got that frame downstairs. But uh, that is so cool. Oh, 
it was a scary time there for a minute or two because I'm thinking, I don't know if I can ask her four times. Uh, yeah, right. I hear you. <laughs> We're talking with Kent Rollins and about his book, Faith, Family, and the Feast. It's a cookbook, but, uh, you know, we're talking about cowboy cooking. That's the important thing. It's, it's a life about, book, too. It's all about, yeah, it's a life book. It's all about cowboys. And we're going to talk more with Kent in just a moment here. Hey, popular history tells us that women gained the right to vote in 1920 with the 19th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. But if you pick up a copy of Chris Enns' latest book, No Place for a Woman, you'll learn women were voting as early as 1870. That was in the Wyoming Territory. Enns tells stories of three women whose work in lobbying helped usher in a new era for expanding women's rights. This is a must-have book for your Western collection. Get your copy of No Place for a Woman at Amazon.com, at BarnesandNoble.com, or at ChrisEnds.com. And be sure to listen for Chris on Voices of the West, April 18th at 4 p.m. to hear more of the story of No Place for a Woman. We'll be back with much more right after this. Cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were filled. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallion.com or call 520-297-0252. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond check and stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911. Hi, this is Joe Montaigne. Every time my Uncle Willie tells me about his service in Patton's Third Army in World War II, I'm reminded of what we owe the U.S. Army. Fourteen generations of American soldiers who have courageously defended our nation. Their stories represent the best of America and should never be forgotten. Join me to help build the National Museum of the United States Army, a long overdue tribute to all American soldiers. To learn more, visit armyhistory.org. The Tucson Trap and Skeet Club dates from 1948 and is now at 7800 West Old Ajo Highway. The club owns 80 acres and leases 300 more from Pima County that supports 50 trap fields, 15 skeet fields, two five-stand fields, two sporting plays courses with 12 stations each, a 9,000-square-foot clubhouse, 200 full-service RV hookups for members, and free Wi-Fi. This expansive facility gives enough room to host major national and international events annually, bringing thousands of people to the community. Check it out at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com. Old Western Radio Theater every Saturday at 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time only on the Voices of the West. VOW Radio. And we are back on Amal Franzi's The Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, along with Bunker de France, our guest is uh, Kent Rollins, and uh, we're talking about his book uh, that he's written with wife Shannon. It's Faith, Family, and the Feast. And, you know, we haven't really talked a whole lot about the book as much as we probably should, and you are uh, about to embark, you and Shannon are about to embark on a, a book signing tour. Is that right, Kent? Well, we thought we were going to, starting about Wednesday, but uh, the, the the PR agency and the publishing company and the bookstores are thinking now that we're going to put it on hold till uh-huh. they figure out what's going on in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I told 
I told them in our world, it went by every day. We just went with it. So That's right. Yep. Right now, we're still sort of on hold. Um, we're not for sure what's going to take place in okay. the next couple of weeks as far as book tour. But uh, we're going to we'll have it posted where people can find us, you know, either on our YouTube page or uh, so any of our social media stuff. Well, you know, uh, just so we, we get a plug in here, uh, tell us about your Red River Ranch uh Dutch oven cooking camp there at Hollis, which is your home, I guess, where you were born, raised, and still hanging out. Yeah, I've, I've been here uh, nearly all of my life. Me and Shan spent about, oh, two or three years on the ranch in North Texas. And, uh, you know, I, there was times that I'd be gone from here more than I was home when I was cooking for so many ranches. But uh, about 15 years ago, I had kept asking a lot of, having a lot of people ask me, they say, hey, I I want to be a camp cook, you know. Whether I'm cooking for hunting outfit or I might want to cook on a ranch, I I, I want to learn that. And I'm thinking, yeah, I don't know if you do or not. I said there ain't ain't no days off. It's harder than you think it is. And uh, so I thought, well, I, I'm gonna see about this. And um, the first four people I ever took, um, one was from Louisiana, one was from Alabama, one was from Georgia, and one was from Northern Oklahoma. Uh, Three out of the four bought chuck wagons as soon as they got out of there. Yeah, I told them, I said, well, y'all, y'all didn't learn nothing, you know. <laughs> but it, uh, it is something now. I mean, it's become so popular. We're probably booked out to 2024. Wow. You know, there's a waiting list that just goes on and on and on. That is and cool. we try to get more of them in every year. But, you know, it sort of goes with weather and how you can get that done. Sure. But, uh we teach people it's not only just about cooking, but it's also about life and how yep. simple life can be. There you go. That's that's the name of the game. And that YouTube channel that you have, I love watching because I, I love watching for the beagle and uh, <laughs> and the other hounds in there. Uh, they're they're yeah. quite, they're quite the help, aren't they? Y'all, they are. You know, the beagle has been with me and Shan for probably nine years. He was a rescue that we just yeah. sort of took in and. I think he actually has more fans on YouTube than we do. We're getting close to approaching one million subscribers. It'll nice. probably happen probably this month sometime. Nice. Is that uh, Bonehead and Duke? Yeah. The the big other dog is named Duke. We lost old Frank a couple of years ago. We had him for about two years, and there's a story in the, in the cookbook about Frank called mm-hmm. Catch a Rabbit. Yeah. That everybody needs to read. It'll uh, it'll touch your heart, but it'll let you know you don't never give up on life. That's right, but, exactly. Uh, and a good old hound beagle, dog is he, good for cleaning them pots the when you're take, done. Oh yeah, and uh, the beagle will do his part and try to steal the show if he gets a chance. <laughs> <laughs> that YouTube channel is just so doggone popular. I mean, I, my wife and I have subscribed to it, um, and, and it, your presentation—that's the. I think that is. That is the key there. Um, you obviously know what you're doing uh, behind the uh, behind the skillet and whatnot, but it's your presentation that makes it fun. And you you you, you watch that and you want to you want to be part of that fun. And that's what the fun I had when I replicated one of your recipes. Well, we uh, that's really how this book came about, especially the title. Uh, we we have such a large faith-based, American-loving, God-fearing bunch of people that mm-hmm. follow us on YouTube. And we get cards and letters from so so many service men and women that are overseas. Uh, they send us flags that have flew over their last mission. You know, they, they wow. call when they can, and they say, you know, what we did today wasn't pleasant, but when we got back to where we were safe, we got a computer and we watched an episode because you make us feel like family and you make us feel like we're home. That was all I really wanted to ever get across out of this was to let people sure, hey, we're going to have a good time and we're going to cook. These are recipes that anybody can do. But we wanted people to be family. And because my mother always told me, you set food on a table and it brings people together. And that's what it's about because it's not the legs of the table that hold it up. It's the people around it. That's what we try to do. We try to make you feel yeah. like you're in in the kitchen, right. sitting around having a cup of coffee. Exactly. What's your favorite That's thing? That's right. What's your favorite thing to cook, Kent? Well, you know, I've I've cooked so many steaks in my life that you couldn't fit them in forty two box cars if you was to pile them up <laughs> one end after the other. So I've really 
developed a sweet tooth over the last uh, it comes with years. age uh, and I, I love I love dessert and uh, one of the things that I think amazes me is a recipe that Shannon came up with when she was in Ireland for a while studying abroad and she said they had this strawberry pie and I said now see you talk to me having an accent I said you can't even say strawberry and she said no it's strawberry pie and uh, I said I don't believe I ever had none of that well it's, it's got a, to- a toffee like crust to it and got some strawberries in there and mm, I mean when you sat down with this stuff, you don't need nothing else. If you've got a fork and a cup of coffee, but don't invite people because you'll want to eat the whole thing by yourself. <laughs> no, Sharon. <There> <laughs> All right. We are plumb out of time, my friend. And I, I thank you so much for taking your Saturday and, and spending it, you know, spending a, an hour with us. This has just been so, so well, much fun. It, is, it has been my honor, my friends. And y'all are welcome in our camp anytime. Well, thank thank well, you so much. It's been more fun than a sack full of squirrels. Exactly. And I didn't get to ask you my most important question, which is, what is, is there anything more important to coffee in a cowboy's diet? No. No, I would, I would say, say uh, good Good, good horse. horse, coffee, and a good bedroll, and you're fixed up. There you go. Yep. <laughs> Ken Rollins, thank you so much. It's been a that pleasure. It's been a most pleasure. Oh, we it's been my pleasure. Definitely want to have you back on the show Amen. when you can, sir. Uh, just just to, right. just to shoot the breeze and, and talk about cooking and cowboys because... And bring some pie. And bring some pie because uh, we used yeah, to have... Yeah, because it's pie day. Yeah, we, that's right. We used to have a, a, a YouTube channel, but they, they kicked us off the YouTube because I guess they didn't like cowboys and guns, and that's what we used yeah. to talk about a lot. So, uh, whatever, you know. Hey, I don't need YouTube. They need me more than I need them. Hey, it's it's so, it's their loss. Not that's ours. pretty much it. All right, sir. I thank you so much. Uh, hang on. I'm going to run the outro here, but do hang on the line so we can speak at you before we take off here. All right. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Emil Franzik's Voices of the West.